A birthday celebration over the weekend. A nice Belmont payout. One big week in the markets. CPI, PPI, Fed meeting, quad witch. Analysts getting cocky ahead of uh, Oracle earnings. And I'm back. What more could you ask for? It's pre-market prep this Monday. Let's get it going. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, good morning, traders and investors. We're in the green by 11 and a half handles, 43.60 and a quarter. All we care about is taking out Friday's high at 69.50. The buck's down 13.8 cents at 103.39. Bonds flat, 127 and a half. Crude getting tagged down a buck 61 at 68.57. Gold showing a little green up a buck 20, 1978.40. Silver going the opposite way. Down a nickel at 24.33. And Bitcoin, we're just hanging out. We're down $425 at 26,050. Do you have the birthday song ready? Or did we talk about this? Or did you guys talk about Dennis's birthday on Friday? Come on, come on. You know me, Joel. Always ready to go. Happy birthday, to Okay, enough. <laughs> Blow out your candles, man. That's you what don't I was waiting celebrate for. birthdays when you get this old. I'm approaching 50, so you don't celebrate birthdays when you get this old at all. You do celebrate them with butter tarts, though. If you looked over my Twitter over the weekend, I went <laughs> we'll to the butter tart we'll festival, and definitely the 220 calls are in play here, Joel. The 220, the 220 calls. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can hear Zero it. days to it. expiration. And if I would have known that it was your, I mean, I did know that it was your birthday on Saturday. If I would have known, I probably even would have went heavier into Belmont. The first time I don't write an article, maybe in like a dozen years, because I was out of town. I don't. And I just want to tell you, did anybody watch that race? Mitch, did you watch it live? Did Um, anybody watch that race? Unfortunately, I took the night off. I took the night off. Well, it was was seven o'clock. I just want to tell you, you're going to go back. That was one of the worst calls by an announcer. Wasn't good. That I've ever heard in my over 55 years of watching horse racing. And I wasn't into it or what? Well, he didn't he didn't have it right right there. Wide open Belmont. This is three minutes before post. Right. Joel gave you the horse three minutes before the race. So he may not he may not always get the star picks right, but sometimes he gets these horses right, man. I tell you, you got that horse right. And it went off at like seven to one in the $2 exact that paid 68 bucks. But you go back and watch that race because I was keyed in on my horse the whole time. He got off good. He was on the rail. He worked his way up. And the race is a mile and a half, right? 
So they come to the top of the stretch. It's a quarter of a mile. And I'm sitting there to Lisa. I'm like, my horse is going to die like a pig. He has nothing left in him. And she's like, no, I, I think he's going to do okay. And the favorite kid coming up on the outside. All right. So now it's a, a quarter mile left. And I'm like, there's got to be an eighth of a mile left. The announcer doesn't say anything. I'm like, where's the wire? Where's the wire? You know, he didn't even say like 500 feet or anything. Joel announcing these things. Oh, I could have announced that thing. I don't know who that guy was, but I'm like, what, you know, where's the wire? They usually give you like, you know, they count down the feet and everything, but I'm back. It was, so how'd your horse? So it wasn't doing that great to start. How did it pull it off? No, it did. Okay. It got off. It was on the rail the whole time. It got on rail the whole time, got boxed in a little bit. And it stayed on the rail almost a whole race. But, like, you know, he was third, fourth, third, fourth, third, fourth. Boom. And then he took the lead. And then I think the announcer just thought Forte was about to, uh, you know, was going to catch him. And he just hung on. He took the lead at the top of the stretch. It just kind of, just kind of, kind of hung on. But uh, let's talk about the week in the markets here, Dennis. We have, we have no clear resistance in sight, really. On the dailies, we have uh, CPI, we have PPI, yeah. we have a Fed meeting, and we have Quad Witch. Yeah. So we have a lot of non-earnings on the – we don't have a lot of earnings stocks. We do have Oracle, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Uh, but, I mean, Tuesday's CPI report, this is the another the report. We say these are important, but it's very important because this market has priced in major disinflation here. What are the expectations, Money Mitch, here for CPI looking at tomorrow? I know I'm throwing you under the bus because we had a schedule here and we're already off the schedule. But um, looking here, CPI tomorrow morning, um, the number is supposed to go down significantly here from the previous month. I'm skeptical it's going to go down that much, but what are the expectations here? All right. Uh, just give me one quick oh, second. <laughs> All right. Expectation is 4.1% year over year. I gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, Tuesday's expectation here is 4.1 overall in the year year, down from 4.9% uh, last month. So expected to go down 0.8% They're on a year over year. major disinflation here. So what that means is price is only going up 4.1%, not 4.9%. It doesn't mean they went down but they're not going up as quickly. So now this brings me into the conversation. I want to show a tweet from me. Show a tweet from Joel. You got to show a tweet from me. <laughs> so on Friday, I was, I went, actually it was Thursday. I needed to buy some sunscreen for my kids on the weekend. I go to the superstore and buy my sunscreen, which I always do. Banana, banana boat. I like the banana boat. It's a good product. And it's I noticed the can and I'm like, it's the can on the right the new can. I'm like, this can looks smaller than it used to be. Sure enough, I come home and I had an old can and I put them side by side. Noticeably smaller container, but maybe they just, you know, made it a little bit different shape. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. Banana Boat reduced the size of the container from 170 grams down to 141 grams. Same cool price. It was $8.99. But 170 grams to 141 grams. So multiple questions here, even for the chat. And I don't know if anybody has the answer. But I believe the CPI does not capture this 20% increase in price. Because that's what this really is. Even though the price did not go up. And CPI might show, oh, look, Banana Boat Sunscreen did not go up in price. They actually increased the price by shrinkflation here by 20%. Because they're giving you 
19% less product. So now they're on the 141. So it's 20% increase in price here from the 170 down to the 141. This is the sneaky inflation that we've always had. And the CPI, I believe, does not capture this. Um, this is a significant increase in price here, though. So Banana Boat, if you're listening to this podcast, reach out to us. Let us know why, first of all, the management decision to decrease the size by 20% to why did you not decrease the price then as well? Because you're giving us less product. I so know why. This is, this is inflation that is sneaky and I believe not captured by the CPI. I know why. It's because they're trying to keep us off. The banana boat, of course, baby. Oh, what did he do? Did you guys create that? We riding out there. Who is the girl in the back? Riding out there. (laughs) Is that the banana boat girl? Yeah, she she got us all on it. You could see it. (laughs) (laughs) You could tell Joel's been working out. Look at those legs. (laughs) Joel, nice legs. Anyways, that's my pet peeve. When I go in there and you see this, you guys know what I'm talking about. This isn't just banana boat. This is everything. They're giving us less product. So it's not only that they're raising the prices on us 4% or 5% or whatever it is. They're actually giving us less product. And this is a 20% increase in price. Federal government, CPI, whoever you guys are, account for this because I don't think they do. Well, well maybe they could give the report and they could say excluding suntan lotion at the superstore in Canada. Yeah, except Canada. Well, Maybe this is increased the price 20%. I don't have a problem with it, but they didn't do that. You know, so, uh, didn't do that. I don't know who it was, but what this is going to be the last month for good, you know, to have a positive comparison because we were screaming so high at this point a year ago, right? It was out of yeah. control. So, with the this is going to be an easy comparison. Or you know more favorable you know to look on a beat. I mean, also, I mean that's not the only thing. At CPI, PPI, you got the Fed. The Fed pause. The Fed. The Fed's gonna pause. But What's they might the okay? Throwing Mitch under the bus here again. What's the odds <laughs> of a Fed increase? And this is Wednesday. Is the Fed decision yes. Wednesday? Yes. Yes. I believe I saw something in the thirty percent range. Yes, for an I saw thirty-five. Here. Not too bad. 35. Uh, I'll say it the opposite way, right? Uh, The likelihood of the Fed will pause rates in the June meeting will be currently standing at 70%. Oh, there you go. So yeah, saying what the market wants to hear, the pause. So there's a high (laughs) likelihood they pause. Market is pricing in a pause. Market is pricing in no, no inflation ever again. Market is pricing in a perfect world. Or the market just doesn't care and is going up anyways. I think it's more the latter. It's the FOMO. I have FOMO. I have FOMO too. Somebody said, you know, don't, you know, fall for, you know, this, you know, fake rally here. And I'm like, I've fallen and I can't get out because <laughs> I've fallen for this fake rally because I've been buying stocks on pullbacks here, too. Can't help the tape. Tape's going higher right now, at least. We'll see if CPI pulls the rug. Let's just be honest. The AI bubble doesn't seem to be hurting it. Let's just say that much. Uh, let's actually I mean, go. Yeah, that gives them a, I mean, I, I was thinking until, you know, until seeing these statistics that, wow, with the market being up like this, they could be tough, right? That they have a big cushion. But, you know, right now that Fed tool has been uh, pretty accurate. And we yeah, also I think know- it depends a lot on the CPI tomorrow. If they show a little bit hotter number, that'll change in a hurry. So it's oh, nice yeah. they got the CPI data. Right before the Fed decision. So I'm going to say everything matters tomorrow on that CPI print. 8.30, folks. Be here.
We'll see what happens there. Let's get to some of those AI topics today. Um, we do got, of course, two topics that I want to talk about. Sure. First one, let's go to Oracle as they got Whew. an upgrade here and also have earnings tonight. So this analyst definitely stepping up to the plate. Wolf's research upgrading Oracle to outperform and announcing a $130 price target here. Will Oracle get the jump? Before the earnings. Oh, it, it already has had the jump. And again, we talk about this play. We give you this play. Uh, buying stocks ahead of the earnings reports is working. Look at this one. Three days ago, it's 105. It's 114. I'm not holding it through the report. I wouldn't be holding it through the report. But I've been trying to play it long a couple of times here. I would have been long probably over the weekend, but I took Friday off for my birthday. So Friday night off. So I did not have any positions. Like I'm getting flats. So I don't have to worry about stocks. Um, looking coming in here, I was like, why did I not just at least buy Oracle and just forget about it? So anyways, congratulations to those who are long right now. I don't like holding through the reports, but again, alpha being generated, being long these stocks ahead of the reports. Yeah, a couple. I think a couple of analysts may be hopping on this bandwagon. Uh, 115.41 stands as your pre-market high as we speak. Some decent volume being traded too, so I would keep an eye on that. If you're looking for a gap fill, uh, one ten fifteen. Uh, that's on the the. That's the top of the range. That was the old time high from Friday. The close at one oh nine eighty five. Ah, uh, we've seen Oracle do this, run into the reports and absolutely fall on its face. Uh, the Lululemon. I'm just going to equate this to Lululemon. I was a little bit overzealous in the pre market when I was talking. I'm like, you just got to sell this thing today. I, I kind of feel the same thing about Oracle. If I had a large position, I'd be, through the report. I would be selling half during the day. And then if it popped, I would be selling more. And if it went down, I'd be selling it too. That's the only thing I can think of is sell. So it's probably ready. I don't to like holding there. a trade no through way. the report. An investment is different. But if you've gone on for a trade and it just went up 7 8 9% in three days into the report, it could continue to go. But... I'd it's Oracle too. too. How many times have you seen this from the Oracle? Big for Oracle. Oracle's a lower beta. But again, I guess they were buy, bought some AI company or something that chat's talking about. I didn't even see that headline on it. Maybe Oracle's the AI play too. They all got to get into AI, Joel. Database. I mean, Oracle, AI. yeah, definitely. I would view it as an AI play. Let's just be honest. Anything customer service related, anything SaaS related is going to have anything AI playing into it. related is apparently now an AI play. I mean, you can also hear it from, we got a lot of talk from Salesforce, right? About how AI was going to play into this. And I think that plays really close to Oracle's game. So. Yeah. Salesforce I'm coming back with a little, a, a little bit softer view on um, AI after being gone um, at the end of last week. I, I participated in some AI. What did you do? Uh, well, I, I did a couple different things. Uh, we uh, were out in Olympic Park in Utah, where they had the 2002 Olympics. And uh, you couldn't do everything, but they had one thing where you could do a simulator of like bobsled, ski jumping, and all these different things. And it wasn't too bad, but the best thing was, is you could do, you know, like those those big ski jumps, you could do a simulated jump. Did you do uh, it? You, know, you had to do your balance. Oh yeah, and you know what? I actually, I actually, you know, because I, you look at those guys, like they lean down, it. lean down, down, and then they jump, and then they land. I actually, I actually jump farther than Lisa on the simulator. 
<laughs> but it was fun. It was fun. I crashed a couple times, but I do have to admit, I chickened out on the ropes course. On the I AI chickened. ropes? No, no, real ropes. Oh, real ropes. I was like, you chickened out on the AI ropes. No, 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 no. The real <laughs> ropes course. I went through one thing, and uh, Lisa, the, the other people are with, it already went. And I, I said, and then the next thing was walking over this law. I mean, you're hooked in. So the worst thing you could do is like fall and dangle. But I am like, there ain't no way I'm going to be dangling out here in front of like, you know, 300 people. So I did the first rope course and I turned to the person. I go, I'm going back. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing this. And then so some people that were behind me, they had to go back too. And that I'm glad I did it because Lisa did it and she was she a lot more coordinated than me. She was absolutely exhausted. So huh. that so AI, I'm softening up on my AI position. So I, you buy anything. an AMD? Oh, man. Are you not selling it is more important. I can't believe you held on yet. to this one for so long. No, I know. Usually I sell quickly, but I have not sold any. I told you I, I don't know last week, but I had put I thought it was, I put, so it's 35% of my kids' RESP is AMD. I'm heavily weighted in AMD in the RESP. In my long-term portfolio, it's less than that. But it's, hey, a, it's a few percent. It. It's a few percent. So it's a fairly significant size position for me, and it's getting bigger by the day, getting bigger here today. Why is that, Mr. Mitch? Yeah, let's talk about that. So I got some news this morning, and this came from Mumu US, is that I think it's a very important one. A lot of people are talking about the up, uh, well, the upgrade on price target today. Uh, raising the price target to 110 yeah. Who was that? Uh, from 110 to 150 that was key bank but key i think bank. what's very important here is i did get a note here from mumu this morning about an amd special ai event so wow. tomorrow amd is hosting a special ai and data center centric event led by ceo dr lisa sue during the event amd will talk about the instinct mi 300a uh, chip, which promises an impressive eight times increase in AI performance, a 5x enhancement in performance per watt. Um, so look for them to talk about their chips and how they can play into AI. And of course, to focus AI in data center centric event. These stocks do like to run up into these events. One issue you've got with AMD is it sold off and just came back and is a big level here. 130 is huge here. So there is some yeah. major resistance. It's going to challenge it here this morning. Can it get up and over it? I don't know. We just came from 117 two days ago. So it's a big move really fast. But you do have some resistance. I'm holding on to my AMD. I put it in there. I think three years from now, AMD is a hell of a lot higher. So I'm sticking with it. You got to sell there at 129. Dennis, uh, 129 ahead of the 130. Somebody stepping yeah, ahead so, of the 130. Yeah, just you know, they're just like, hey, I want to sell like 87,000 at that level. So they're just sitting there at 129, just above, uh, just below the pre-market high. Uh, looking on the dailies here, uh, you you're trading up 363. I think it's really important to take out that pre-market high and then challenge the high on Friday. The high, no, that that's above the high on Friday. So if you're looking for potential support, the top of yesterday's range was uh, 127 and a quarter. That's not too far away for a gap fill. And then actually the high was uh, made last week at 130.79 and I think that 
closing high. The closing high for the move was made on Friday as well at 124.92. I think on this one, I mean, instead of trying to pick a top, and we've talked about this a lot of times, just trail that, you know, like put that metal stop in there. And if the market starts to turn around and uh, go down, we know the beta on AMD that it will go down more to the market. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's been a good run. Again, we had the little pullback, though, the last few days, the check back. (laughs) And, you know, this was, you know, all these stocks, the AI pullback, you could call it NVIDIA pullback. And NVIDIA is still down from where it was. But we've had a little pullback here. Now it's Mm -hmm. starting to run here again, though. So we'll see how it does at 130. One thing that I would state is I did confirm it. I pulled it there straight from the AMD okay. uh, investor there. So I did confirm. This is the news that not many news are reporting right now. So I can will tell you that yeah. right now. This is a little I bit of a these sneaky events, under the radar ahead of these headline events. right now. So keep an eye on it. Who knows? This could uh, give it a little bit of a lift. We'll find out. Yeah. Don't get All appled. Right. Don't get appled. And again, yeah, yeah you got to be yeah, careful. You got to be careful, of course. Like $3,500 goggles, sometimes they pull the rug out from underneath them. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think with chipset though, at least today, we all want to hear what AMD has to offer. So I, 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 watch I, out on those. It's bits. an AI event. I've been saying I think AMD is a catch-up play with Nvidia. That's why I'm long it. You're getting it for what is the valuations? I think it's about half still because Nvidia's run. Let's just go take a look at the valuations here. Um, you can go in the Benzinga Pro here for this information, obviously as well. And you know, I just go into AMD and I go to details, and you can get the forward PE and you can get the current PE. So the current P, you're going to see 657 because don't you know that's why current P's are not good. Ford P is now 44. It's come up substantially. When I bought it, it was around 30. So it has come up a lot. I don't like paying 44 times, but I didn't mind paying 30. I mean, Nvidia is in another planet. So Nvidia's PE current current P is 201. Well, they got the Ford P only at 52. So there is catching up slowly. It has been catching up a little bit there. The reason the Nvidia P didn't go up though because they had that earnings yeah, guidance exactly. raise so much yeah what if amd bumps up their guidance sometime too though so hey dennis watch your bids definitely here. i like it better at night watch your bids i don't know what's going on here i mean it's not leaking. um yeah it's just we're, we're leaking we're we leaking up right and it seems like we're starting yeah, to get uh, no, we is, up, man we just is right Intel still the bargain let's just stick with the chip talk just for one more minute here because eks are, are saying he thinks intel's a bargain. yeah let me get a comment in and then we'll talk a little bit intel and all right sure. sounds good dennis so yeah, one thing go. i definitely want to tell us about is a little oh, yeah. bit later today of course we'll hear all about from qualcomm's ai so don't miss this chance to stay ahead of the curve secure your future in the fast-paced world of ai stay tuned later today right here 9 a.m. for this electrifying interview with Zod Asgard, the visionary driving Qualcomm's AI revolution. Catch the next big AI stock only on Benzinga. See you there, guys. We'll see what happens with Qualcomm. That's right up. after the show. Yep, just right after that, guys. So, will they, um, if they thing, stay on the show, will this go straight into, or are they going to have to go to another? They don't lane? need to go anywhere. You don't need stay to stay right anywhere. here. Stick team. with us. We got Qualcomm coming up right after the show. Mm-hmm. And I do still have a, a, a piece of Intel, still have that from 3093. Nice. I've talked about it. It's become sexy for me now with just one mention of NVIDIA. Are you guys taking a shot? Well, I've been in, and me and Joel yeah, have both been, been in Intel it, for a while. You're fully in, aren't you, Joel? You bought yeah, it for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I've had though. it for a while. Joel's bag holding Intel. Bag holder, I'm almost yep. back to even on Intel because mm-hmm. I bought in the low 30s. I think I bought around 33. But what I did was I wrote covered calls, and they're expiring in five days. So I have a decision to make. I can cover in those calls and keep the stock, or I can just let the stock go. What should I do here, chat? We almost should let the chat decide, do I cover the calls, 
keep long intel here. It's been such a dog. Or do I just let it go? I wrote the calls about three months ago. Picked up right. two bucks. One for writing the calls. Two for letting it go. <laughs> do I do I do I buy the calls back or do I let the stock go? Because it's in the money. It's gonna go. I don't let until it collapses here in the next couple four days. The question is, let it go. It's a, so we got some. It looks like we got some frozen fans here. Let Just it on, go. Let it go. Let it go. So I forget. Is it one? Let it go. Frozen. Let it go. Probably cover. Let it go. Twos. So twos. Oh, let there's it go. the twos. There's the twos. There you got some people. Is two? Let it go. No, one was let it go. Oh man, this is mixed. Look how this divided mixed, the mixed. chat here is. That's why they call Dennis, it a market, Dennis, right? Dennis, you could. Well, what was your original plan? Just to ride it there out. There you go. I like My it, original Joel. plan was Intel got too cheap and I was going to hold it forever. But then I got mad at it on that last earnings report when it went down. <laughs> then it bounced. And when it bounced back, remember I had the bad earnings report the last yeah. time? And then, yeah. it, and then it bounced back like three days later. I was like, I'm writing calls on this thing because it's probably going nowhere. You know what you it should do? It pretty much did go nowhere. So it actually wasn't a bad call. But I think, I, I think you should cover the calls and buy more calls. You're bullish. He's full yep. on bullish intel. Yep. Mm. Cover the calls and buy more calls and keep long the stuff. And sell Double some long. puts. And sell some puts. Oh, we got a decision. I have four more days to, 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 to decide. So. <laughs> the hamster okay. wheel go. That's yes. for sure. Uh, we'll the, see what the happens. The chat was very divided, by the way. I think it was even. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's pivot over to the uh, – let's go to the cruise lines. This has been an interesting conversation. Cruising. Let's talk a little bit about some cruise lines as J.P. Morgan's analyst Matthew Boss upgrades Carnival wow. today to overweight and raising price target to $16. Um, I got some bullet points here from the latest in the industry. So this was given by a report by J.P. Morgan. They said that North America's recovery in travel market is strong with bookings surpassing 2019 levels. Now, when we think about different areas, international is still struggling a little bit. Europe travel market is improving. Australia's recovery is estimated to be about a year behind and Asia about two years behind. So here in the United States is going well. And according to the survey by Morgan Stanley, agents reported also strong momentums in booking and month-on-month -month increases higher than levels compared to pre-pandemic levels. So definitely let's focus on this because right now the price advantages of cruise over land-based vacations is seen as a positive factor for the industry. People want to do stuff. We talked about the airlines. I'd rather yep. own the airlines. I sold my Norwegian, lines. man. <laughs> I'd rather own the airlines than the cruise lines. UAL has come all the way back. We talked about this at 45, 46. It's back up yep. to 51 almost. It's come back. American Airlines is hooking, starting to look perky here. The airlines look pretty good. Again, it's hard to take positions on ahead of CPI because that can change everything tomorrow morning and the Fed decision, obviously, Wednesday. So big macro moves expected here in the next couple of days. But if all goes well with CPI, People want to do stuff. This is oh, where people sure. are cutting their expenditures. They want to go on trips. They're not, they're, they're, we're in this YOLO still mentality here. And it's like, I haven't seen things. I want to get out there. I want to do stuff. I want to go places. That's good for the airlines and that's good for the cruise lines. Yeah, I could, uh, I can verify that. Uh, just absolutely jammed at the airport. That's busy. I, at Delta, I mean, just, I, I don't even want to jinx myself. I mean, just incredible. 
on time, early. I mean, they just, they, they got it down. You know, they don't mess around with food anymore, but unless you sit in first class, but holy mackerel, what a move. CCL, Dennis, how far can you see the book on this? Because I would say, man, we haven't been up to 14 bucks. Littered it's with such a, here. Yeah, boy. I, for this oh. one, I would just be looking at the 14 to 1420 area. I mean, this is a big move, almost 6%. It's big volume, but you're going to have a lot of stock to take out in the book. And then I look at this high from last year in June at, at 14.20. So, I'm, I mean, for me, I'm not buying. And if I had it, I'd be at uh, 14 to 14.20. That's like five-star for resistance today, especially, I mean, up 76 cents. RCL is getting a bump on this too. That's been a nice move. So keep an eye on your pre-market high. This has... Wow, this is coming up on your post-pandemic highs. That's impressive. Unbelievable. It is. At, we had the tip-off when Mitch got back exactly. from his cruise. Exactly. He, he did. He Look was at the saying date. it was busy. The date we was by that day. 1st. May 1st. Look at CCL oh, on May man. 1st and look where it's at now. Telling you, Mitch <laughs> on this show. But it I played busy. it that day. Eyeball test. Eyeball, uh, eyeball I played test it. works. If I, I, I played Norwegian Utah right and now, I Carnival. would just because Joel said it was busy. That works. <laughs> but another thing, Utah. Utah another calls. thing is RCL has gone pretty far since then also. So this it has move run. is getting And that's extended. what I'm going to say too. So is be careful. The easy money has been made in all of exactly. these stocks here now. The yeah. easy money has been made in RCL and CCL. Look at that. You need to check that. back, a pause. I don't like chasing. You are hopping on a moving train. And when you hop on a moving train, a lot of times you fall under the tracks. Believe me, I yeah. know. Yeah. We'll First see team. what happens if they can stay strong. And I do agree with you watching the airlines. I think a lot of that airline has to do with probably oil maybe making an impact. Let's talk a little bit about crude prices falling on the backs of U.S. and Iran talks on a temporary nuclear deal that would allow the Islamic Republic to export more crude oil. Of course, uh, oil coming down here. Will this play a positive effect on the airlines? And then, of course, we can kick it to the oil stocks themselves. Well, you know, multiple thoughts here. One, oil's trying to break down new lows. That is good for CPI. You know, it wasn't a great month for, you know, looking back to May, I guess, kind of oil was down slightly maybe in May. One thing that just bothers me here, though, is the pump prices are not coming down. <laughs> I mean, I see oil prices going down. I had to go and buy gear lube for my boat and there was a one liter container guess how much the gear lube one liter can canadian dollars but just one one liter little mm. container probably the main ingredient gear lube is oil one liter guess how much it was just take a wild guess mitch i'll let 50. you go first well that's crazy but not 50 but I don't, was, the, I, don't, I don't know the Canadian dollars. The US it, it was, dollars. It was yeah. at the Marina is always higher. It was 40 at the Marina. And I was like, there's no way I'm paying 40 bucks. So I went to Canadian Tire. And it was still $30 for one liter of gear loop. Oof. $30. And that's a that liter. was like 10 bucks three years ago. It's 30 now. And you know what the guy says to me? Well, have you seen the price of oil? And I was like, indeed I have. And oil <laughs> price has been coming down. Why is your gear loop price going up? That's my question. My question to you is, did you do any arbitrage? I should be shorting should be that gear lube and buying oil. No, you yeah, should be buying whatever that stuff is gear lube, But the gear the lube store. price is going to continue to go up because it's retail, and they charge whatever the hell they want. 
You should it's buy it at a the store. Leader. Beer guy says, it's probably a smaller leader. <laughs> you buy it at the store, and then you sell it out of your car at the boat dock. Yeah, well, that's what you could do. I go buy a Canadian tire, and then I go over to the marina, and I have gear yes. loop here. They're charging 40 here. It's 35 bucks out of the back of my this car. This guy right has now. a sign up out front of his house that yeah. says, like, come on in and get oil. Gear lube. Like, you know, like on a sale. lemonade stand. I set up the gear lube stand. <laughs> Pops out the back of the trunk. Gear lube. $35. I make five bucks a thing. Those Canadian boys, they, they, they got you ready. Dennis, yeah. come to him. He got the oil what? ready for you. Should we but just about- have... I have my oil rant like ready every time about what I say about oil. Please rant. Rant away. You have two minutes before Tim comes. No, no, we don't need we don't need two minutes of this. They're pumping like OPEC, whatever they say. Everyone is pumping all the time as much as they can. They're getting it out of the ground. No, don't believe what anyone says. Don't believe OPEC. Don't believe Russia. Don't believe ExxonMobil. They're pulling it out of the ground. And they're not, and Dennis, to your point. Why not, man? Let's just get it out as fast as we can. Oil is breaking down here. Uh, yeah. We are down two bucks at sixty-eight eighteen. I don't know. I mean, I, I've talked about the the average price of oil over the last 15, 20 years being fifty, sixty bucks, and that is where it's going. I don't but know. Why if are it's gas I'm with you. I'm with you. Thirty, Joel. forty, fifty percent higher than where they were when oil was this price three they or four can. years ago. They because they can. Because they can. To make profits, they ought to be making a lot. Of, that's why long this year should be long. I guess all these oil companies still they yeah, just they're greedy, Dennis. But they go they down. The oil the money. stocks suck. They are the wasn't money. down in everything that I've bought in the last like six months. I'm up in except those oil stocks. What about Warren? Because of Buffett. Thank you, Buffett. I bought that PXD. I'm down in that thing too. That's no good. Yeah. But man, then you no. got, you know, the opposite story here. Obviously, everything else. So, anyways, we got let's go grab Tim. Get Tim's thoughts here because we've talked a lot of different sectors here. And we know Tim's got his system that cuts out all the opinions and just looks at the numbers. We like quantifiable systems here. The clock's take a look, of course, underneath the hood of market structure edge. What's going on, Tim? How we doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you guys? What did, what did I miss this morning? We're complaining about prices hmm. of everything. I'm complaining about the price of sunscreen. I'm complaining about the well, price of gear loop. I'm compare, complaining about the price of the oil, at the, of, of the gas at the pumps, because I see oil coming down, yet all these products that use oil going up. What's with that? Why do these companies want to make so much money off of us, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> I think we call it the profit motive, Dennis. Capitalism, uh, free market yes, capitalism. Exactly. <laughs> Supply and demand, and they don't I, care that oil has come down. They're not lowering those prices. They raise the prices at the pumps. Well, and, and to be fair to the producers, and the whole thing from, from upstream to midstream to downstream, where downstream is the service station, the gas station, the petrol station. Midstream is transportation. Upstream is exploration and production look their their input costs have gone up too they're no labor. different they're no different from us yeah their labor costs have gone up their equipment costs have gone up everything's gone up so it becomes harder i think for producers to adjust the price of the pump to oil as a result of that you know the, it gets to the central question of the week which here in the in the us and knowing that you're peering just across the border dennis uh of the you know, what the Federal Reserve does, you know, had they been serious about addressing inflation rather than leaking out changes over two years, why wouldn't you just hike rates to 5%? I 
I mean, if you really wanted to stop the use of credit, infusing the market with higher prices, inflation is always, always, always about money. It is not about you, the consumer. You don't create inflation. We don't need to slow you down. The economy does not overheat. There is no such thing. There is only too much money chasing too few goods, and it happens in two ways. There is credit, the ability to borrow things and buy stuff. And if you have zero interest <laughs> car loans for seven years, that is infusing inflation into the system. And then fiscal and monetary stimulation, where people get checks for sitting at home. Those two things create inflation. Mm -hmm. So if we wanted better, and I was traveling over the weekend and paying almost No, you were traveling against stop. I, almost five dollars again. Well, this was not. Where were you this time? I so this is. It's not sad, but it's a fact. So my mother passed away. So oh, I was sorry. in. Uh, oh, sorry to I hear was that, in, Tim. I was delivering. I was delivering the eulogy at my mother's. Uh, so, sorry to hear that, Tim. Thank, no, thank you. So I was in Spokane, Washington, and and gas was pretty close to four eighty a gallon there. I don't know what it is where you are. It's quite a bit more than here in in Denver. But uh, that to me is the problem, Dennis. It's and how do we fix that? Uh, well, I that's very simple to me. If you set interest rates at a reasonable level and left them alone and let the, the supply-demand equation sort itself out at the commercial level, and if you fixed the value of the currency and adjusted it only uh, to expand according to output uh, increases, we would have very, in fact, we would probably have prices that would come down because as we introduce things that should improve uh, efficiencies, uh, like generative AI, I mean, that should improve productivity. If you don't need as many people to do things, uh, then prices should overall come down. Happened from 1800 to 1900, by the way. The consumer price index equivalent from 1800 to 1900 in the US came down 50%. And it's because the value of the currency was fixed. So by the time you got to the end of the century, if you lived that long, you could buy 50% more than you could at the beginning with the same money. That is a great system, but uh, we don't have it. That's not market structure. No, it's <laughs> not. It's Tim. I want to I want to get in. There's not too often mm -hmm. where I'm thinking about the markets. I'm thinking about the show. I'm doing my homework and I'm thinking, wow, what a week we have coming up. Yes. And I think about, you know, the setups and the scenarios, not very often do I get an email from our guest saying why this week is possibly the most consequential one this far in 2023, Tim. That's a good setup, Joel. It is a good setup. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Was... I mean, I'm not going to be able to sleep all week. Come on. Let's talk about it. CPI, PPI, Fed, and Quad Witch. This is it. This is it. The week. Okay, go ahead. That's that was. This is the pre-market prep equivalent of let's get ready to rumble and yeah, wrestle. Really, eh? That's what that was. Uh, well, so, so for, for those who aren't reading everything like we are. So, I, I mean, I'm, you probably do the same, but whether I like it or not, I read Bloomberg, Tab Forum, Wall Street Journal, everything, right, to, to keep up, uh, up on what's occurring. This week, there are, well, of course, there's the Fed meeting, Fed Open Market Committee meeting. So there'll be a press conference and a decision, probably nothing, but it'll be interesting to see what they have to say and how the market responds to that. On Wednesday, Thursday begins the June options expirations period, 
Friday is S&P quarterly rebalances, round three of the annual Russell rebalances, which, by the way, that's why the Russell 2000 took off. Back on June 2, the reason all of a sudden, wham, the Russell took off is that's when the rebalance started. June 2, it continued last Friday, and it's already done because it's less than 5% of overall market cap. doesn't take long. But if you rebalance, wham, it hits those that's that uh, small part of the market, 2,000 stocks, but only 5% of market cap. Yeah. So all of that's occurring. Um, and uh, you've got, you've got uh, uh, NASDAQ. NASDAQ runs hundreds of thousands of indexes. Those are rebalancing. All of that is occurring as we come out of a period where ostensibly we have come out of uh, a, a bear market, that we've returned to a bear market. Plus, there's this. In the last week, we saw the greatest outflows in 10 weeks, tab forum, uh, from equities. If you look at ETFs, Wall Street Journal, less than half of ETFs have seen inflows, 44%. If you look at the overall ETF complex, we're creating and redeeming at the lowest level since 2019. We have given back all of the ETF bubble inflows. And yet here the market is way up. Well, how can things be true? How How does does that add up? And this is, you know, I saw this over the weekend too, people talking about the outflows into, you know, and and not money coming into the markets. Yet the market continues to go higher. The reason, I think a main reason why, you know, you're not seeing these big inflows is the Tina trade is it's dead. There is an alternative and it's cash and it's 5% here right now on treasuries. So there's a lot of, you know, maybe older people who are like, well, I don't have to chase return. I'll just take my 5% and not worry about the markets. I think that's why it's not coming in. But why do the stocks continue to go higher if there's not inflows coming in? Like it's not big money driving this then. Well, then there it's it's like the old Sherlock Holmes adage that when you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains no matter how improbable is your answer. And I'm going to answer it this way. So I saw a little clip from Mark Rowan, who was on CNBC last week. He was at the Economic Club of of New York. And and Mark Rowan is the CEO and co-founder of Apollo. So very, very large private equity firm. And he said it was fascinating. Uh, In fact, it was so good, I paused the TV, grabbed my phone, backed it up, and recorded it, which is, of course, a violation of copyrights. But I wanted that little clip. (laughs) And so... Uh, he said, he said, 60% of the market is ETFs, 80% of the volume is the S&P 500. There is no alpha left in public equities. He said it hasn't been there for 20 years. He said, you can buy beta, the movement of the market. I call that the wave of the market that carries all the boats. He said, you can buy beta for six basis points. How do you know? Because that's what you pay for a passive vehicle from BlackRock or Vanguard or State Street. It's six basis points. He said, you cannot beat the market. We are all levered to five large growth stocks and the Federal Reserve. So there's number one. There is a small concentration of equities that carry most of the market. Then if you add in this ETF piece, it is principally market makers arbitraging. You will arbitrage something up that is trailing the market. And if you can make a penny at a time, it's fine. I do think that means necessarily that there are arbitragers who are losing and arbitragers who are winning, but it establishes a a fundamental point to me. And it's very important traders. This is why we talk about this. Okay. The, what is the value of edge to you? The platform we offer. Well, among other things, it does deliver alpha, but alpha cannot be had 
by simply doing what you've always done. You will have to do the things that the people who are making money in the market are doing, and they're looking for supply-demand imbalances, and I'll show you where those are. And then number two and three, it will show you the behavior responsible for moving the market, and it's going to show you where the money is going. That can change mm. very rapidly. But all of those things are very valuable as a if you're a trader. You know, it's I'm going to show you a couple of things. Right, that's, that's my let's, answer, Dennis. Let's get I, to the good stuff. Good let's answer. see the data, the data, the data. It's all about the graphical representations, it, right? Let's get to, to the me, action. You know, certainly I'm a you know I'm a data geek, and I love to look at the data. So when yeah. you look this, and I know you're here, an art guy too. I mean, I see it over the corner, right? Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Good. If you're good with data, you can buy art. So you know, the two go together. The Here's the thing. So what you're looking at, this green and gray parts of the graph, demand, it's an algorithm. It says, let's look at all the uh, purposes behind trading and investing and, and calculate their effect on prices. It's a 10-point scale. So I'm going to look at what I want to find is where is it rising? Where is demand rising? And, and this is supply, short volume. Short volume is the data set associated with the modified uptick rule, 2010. Uh, the SEC handed down some regulations. FINRA created a data set to track that called short volume, not short interest. I, look, we track that too, but it's a 1974 measure. It is not relevant to the way that stocks are priced today, but this is. So when those diverge, that's where your opportunity is. If you short the market, then you want to find where they converge. And look how weird this is. They're not converging. That is very strange. I have only seen that one or two times ever. I just run a calculation that looks for supply and demand in a certain relationship. The supply side is very high in this group. It's almost 80%, but the demand's rising. Weird. That is arbitrage. You know, And who's responsible for it? Quants. Passive money is doing that. That's global macro money. But you can see this. You can look and say, well, is there money going into AI? Well, there has been. Look at this immense demand scale, but it's coming down. The supply side's coming down too. So AI is not going to fall apart, but that great momentum that we had in NVIDIA is coming down. And so you should know that so you can reduce your exposure to things that will no longer give you the kind of gains that NVIDIA has. Well, look at and, and go back to the momentum sector. And yeah. this is probably the first time we've seen financials, the Thanks. leading sector in momentum. Like, what's <laughs> oh, up? I kind of like the value market. I hope it stays for a while here. But what's up? Financials. Although, so let's go look at the financial sector. We can go, scroll down and we could even dig deeper into this. But see, yeah, well, let's do it. it. There it is. Financials have rising demand, and we had this big supply divot last mm. week. But it's turning. It's how sustainable that is is suspect. When when this generally when this happens, you get two or three days of gains in your momentum trades, and then it falls apart. And guess what happens in two or three days? Fed meeting, options expirations, index mm. rebalances. Mm. And Joel, that's why this is the most consequential week of the year so far. We've had a great run, and now all everybody's going to sort out. Are we? Do we still? Are we still tracking the index? Is our, our our assets balanced properly? If we look at the model we're trying to track, are we following it? What is our risk reward equation? Should we have insurance? All those questions are going to get answered in the next roughly week to ten days. And so, if everybody says now nah, we're good, then nothing will happen. But if there's an adjustment, wow, we could have really consequential outcomes. Uh, but yeah, financials. I mean, it's kind of crazy. So that's one place money is going. 
You know, it's 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 a uh, uh, very interesting catch up trade. Catch well, up. Well, we catch see up, this with the IWM here too, which is heavily yep. weighted. Smaller companies, financials have a heavier weight in there, and we've yep. seen this over the last four or five days. We've been talking about this. It's why I've turned bullish because I'm seeing not just being led by six or seven companies. I'm seeing more broad based buying That's here what right we now. Wanted. That's what but we again, wanted. to Tim's point, so many things, data points coming in this week. Does the rug pull happen here? I, exactly. Mean. And what's the reason? It's, it, I, think, I always think that that's very important. What is the reason that these things are occurring? Why is it more broad-based? And I think that it's underappreciated the role that index rebalances have. Remember, this, the, the, if you, I've done this before, but take the seven largest money managers in the United States, BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity, State Street, UBS, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, $40 trillion, $42 trillion wow. of assets. And 70% of those assets follow models. Well, they're making adjustments. And so we can misconstrue what the market is telling us. We can look at it and go, oh, well, everybody's bullish. No, they're trying to get everything sorted out because they haven't done it this year. They didn't do it at the March expiration period because we were in the middle of this banking crisis. People did not true up their tracking. Now we're halfway through almost 2023 and nobody's trued up their tracking. I bet the regulators have given them some leeway because of that. But you got to be there. You can't be selling a fund that says it tracks the S&P 500 and you're not tracking it. Yeah, so that can lead to a, a misconstruction of the motivation of the market. So be very careful, people, not to get caught out in that. That's it. You, you got to be aware of these risks in the market. And that's and, why, you know, on, on the show, sometimes I talk about the ETF effects, which are so yep. significant and understated by the overall market because they yes. don't understand it. And I mean, it's all just, you know, like I've got this trade and I've talked about this with you, Tim, where you see, you know, on those days that Meta reports or you get Apple reporting or Microsoft reporting and they blast off. And all of a sudden you start seeing stocks, you know, like Procter & Gamble going down or you start seeing, you know, Pepsi going down, Comcast going down. It's like, well, why are these stocks tanking? Well, they're, well, you got Pepsi and you got Comcast and you have 20 other stocks, Procter Gamble, not one of them, but you have uh, other stocks that are part of the queues. Exactly. And if they're buying this tech heavy part of the queues, they're going to sell the non-tech components of the queues, which is absurd that Pepsi goes down because Microsoft had a good quarter, but that's the kind of market we're in. It's a very good point. Trend followers do that. And most of the time money is fully invested. So if I decide, oh, we need to buy Meta. I'm going to have to sell something to free up cash to do yes. that. And that's what's going to happen. You're going to see the lower volatility value plays decline. And it's not because people don't like them. It's exactly what you're saying, Dennis. The, awesome. Like always, uh, like always, guys, you guys can check out Market Structure Edge. Take gains, not chances, right? We'll see what happens today. And of course, it feels like that's the type of market we're in right now. We'll have to find out. You guys can get 30-day trial. There you guys see it. Market Structure Edge just threw up the link in the chat. We'll get you on over. Like always, you guys can also check out Tim Quas on Twitter. He's always active. And definitely check out his webinars if you guys want to learn more of how you can be using Market Structure Edge. Have a good one, Tim. You guys too. Thank you. Have Thanks, a good Tim. Week. We'll talk to you next show. week. All right, let's get to the markets. How are yeah. we looking right now, Joel? Are we still a little bit on a leak here? No, 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 no. We're steady, Eddie, here up 12 and a quarter handles, 43.61. I mean, they tried. They tried to uh, bust us down a little bit, but I just want to show you guys and gals here on the dailies. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not much here. You got to go back a while, right? I guess your next stopping point 
would be uh, in the, uh, this is the front month contract ES. I mean, we're past 4430. We're past this area here. You know, all these tops above 4400. We're in the area of light resistance after we uh, we took out the, the highs from the prior week. So keep an eye on that. What do we got? Uh, we got 852. Dennis, anything looking? You seeing much well, in the stocks? Anybody well, jockey? We're, we're gonna go, let's go to the trade zero. Uh, let's go okay. to the trade zero segment here because that shows us big gainers, big losers, and it shows okay. us some stuff that sometimes that we're not looking at. All right, let's go to it. All right. At the top, I do have one more news that I wanted to touch about Novartis to acquire Chinook Therapeutics for $30 a share in cash. And you guys see KDNY moving up on that. Of course, Chinook Therapeutics getting a nice little lift um, with the potential to receive an additional $4 per share. So right now the stated price is 40 but it could be all the way up to $44 per share. So we'll see what happens right now at 37.90s. What do you think about this, Dennis? Uh, again, and I, you know, we we give these core strategies, you know, that I employ in my day trading. You know, how I, you know, make money over the years is just finding alpha in little ways. And what I've been doing for a long time here is being long XBI into the weekend. Why? Because these deals usually get announced on a Monday. And if you get, you know, one stock in the XBI, which is equally weighted, getting taken over, which we're seeing here this morning, the XBI will have an oversized move here. And that's exactly what we're seeing this morning. XBI is trading up 1.11%. You can say, what's 1%? Well, I mean, on these types of trades, you can put on bigger size. It's an ETF. So, you know, you never know which stock's going to get taken over. But a lot of times on the weekend, we see one or two takeovers here, and that drives the XBI up. So, again, the trade works once again here, being long Friday XBI, taking it through the weekend, making 1.11% here works again. KDNY, the trade is over, obviously, you know, so um, smaller companies. So it's probably not even going to have a big effect on the acquirer here. But, you know, you're getting a big move here. So congratulations to the direct owners, KDNY, I believe Shark Biotech. Great follow on Twitter, Dan Rosenblum. I believe he was long it. So, congrats, Dan. Yeah, what? Why you like the um, you like the uh, XBI? I'm trying to think of the name of uh, the other one. Is this the one with the the small? Well, XBI ones? is the small cap. The small yeah, biotech. So IBB is the bigger stuff. Yeah, well, that's what I was. Thinking so that's why I stay away from IBB. the XBI. Uh, the IBB. It's the XBI focus. Because they on might be the other one. smaller ones yeah. too. But I look at the liquid ones. I like the liquid ones that trade with like two cent spreads or one cent spread. So XBI is widely traded, huge volume. So you got basically those two, IBB, the bigger ones, ones. The bigger yep. biotech companies, you know, your Biogens, Amgen, the bigger ones there. And XBI is smaller companies equal weighted. So if there's a takeover in the biotech sector, the XBI likely benefits over the IBB. There's probably a trade, Joel, just thinking out loud here and never really thought, is to just go XBI long, IBB short <laughs> on Friday night and taking it over the weekend there because sometimes the bigger biotech taking over the smaller biotech. <laughs> I know, I just so was thinking That's the one I like. Don't tell <laughs> yeah. that one. We get some strategy. Talking too loud here, about. Dennis. You're talking too loud. <laughs> the exact thing I was thinking, oh, well, if uh, Biogen takes over. Yeah, like, let's think. look under the hood here and, you know, just look at, you know, the ETF and look at IBB. Yeah. And we can just see the biggest components in the IVB, and it's those big guns. Amgen's nine percent of the IVB. Gilead is six percent. Vertex four point six. Regeneron is four. Biogen three. Illumina. Moderna's still up there. And then you go to the XBI, and that's all small stuff, and it's equally weighted, so it's all small. 
So if we go into the XPI, actually, it's not equal. Well, they try to equally weight it, but they quarterly rebalance, I believe. So you do have immunogen, which may get taken over, but it's a bunch of one percenters. So you're getting like, boom, over the weekend, you're getting exposure to all these companies. How many is in there? Oh, man, let's look how many is in there. It's a ton ETF effects, man. And I think uh, there are things that you got to learn from. Dennis tries to talk a lot about different areas here for you guys little to strategies, learn about. Little strategies, little alpha generation. Little alpha, There's 150 right? small biotech companies in the XBI, 150 of them. Pay attention to that. Maybe learn a little bit more about what Dennis is talking about. You definitely might be able to find some edge there. You guys are seeing he's bringing up a trade. Doesn't mean you guys got to take that they one. But take, take the structure of that. Understanding why he's going about it is so important here. You know, All we're right. going we're gonna to write edge. that up. We're I'm, gonna I'm write taking that the up. weekend edge. They usually get announced on Monday. So I'm taking the edge. Here's, it works again. We've talked about this for a long time. We've talked about this strategy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't work every weekend. But if it works 55% of the time, probably makes you money. All right. All what right. else does Trade Zero have for us? AVGO shows up here, of course. Uh, this one's been going sideways here. It's started to get a little bit sleepy, um, but at least got news there oh, that yeah, most yeah, likely well. to receive EU approval for the $61 billion uh, VMware merger. Um, this report came out throughout the weekend by Reuters. Um, so Broadcom likely to get uh. approval here. I'm going to say this one's hooking. This one's looking pretty good. The one problem is taking trades ahead of the CPI. So, you know, does it go today maybe? Do I want to start a swing trade ahead of Tuesday's CPI data? Probably not because it's still a crapshoot. If it comes in hot, they'll hammer everything. So, I, you know, I like the chart here, AVGO. I think the AI story continues. I think the valuation on Broadcom has always been too cheap. I mean, where is this thing now? It's come up quite a bit. But if we go to our trusty Benzinga Pro here and go into the details and look at where the PE is on the AVGO, we will find the current PE is 25. The forward PE is only 19. So you're talking about a potential AI play with a market multiple. If you go back to like three, four months ago, PE, forward PE is like 15, 16 under a market multiple. So it's come up to a market multiple. But one thing to keep in mind is Broadcom is still cheap. Uh, you're getting a pop off this and 813, so you're up eight bucks. I mean, you you settled on the lows of the session, so I think you're gonna find sellers into this. Just trading around the 18, 813 area. I'd really like to see it. I if this is like the good news that you think it is, I think you should get a look at 81775. And then you got another double top at the 822 area. So I'd be looking, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a fader on this one because I still think people are licking their wounds from that day when it went to 921.78 and just going right back I, I just went real quick on the kidney there man oh man it popped over 40 and it's leaking ah, I don't know if I'd be like super concerned about the other four bucks at 44 you know how these deals are a lot of times you get the official pops and then things happen and it withers away so keeping an eye on that pre-market high just over 40 bucks there in kidney all right, we're going to start wrapping it up here, team. Of course, you guys can check out the inventory of short locates for Trade Zero. Just threw up the link there. We're going to wrap it up on the markets. What are you seeing, Joel and Dennis, as you guys wrap the day? Or at Quick least and balance look, Oracle, 106000 to buy. We've talked about that already. Reports earnings tonight has the upgrade as well, which is driving the price here. CCL, 245000 to buy. That's getting driven by an upgrade here as well. So ratings are driving prices here today. For me, 
Uh, you're high on Friday, the high of the move, the highest you've been since August of last year, 43.69.50, hit 43.67 in the pre-market. Folks, when I tell you there's no resistance after that, there's no daily resistance. So let's see if we can take out that pre-market high. All right, everyone. Great to be back. I hope yeah. you missed me as much as I missed you. And uh, Triple D, I'll talk to you at the top of the hour. Everyone yeah, have and, a great and day. And stick around here. we got the Qualcomm segment Qualcomm here coming AI. up here right now. Yes. Catchy interviewing. It's going to be good. I'm going to be watching. So I'm sticking hey. around. Tune in, Dennis. I'll put you in the background and I'll get yep. us going here. All right. So get ready, team. Are you guys ready? We got a great interview for you guys coming up right now. Get ready for the next Big Leap in AI. Join us for this exclusive interview. Starting up, the head of AI business at Qualcomm. We got Zayad Asgard as he reveals the secrets behind the groundbreaking AI innovations. To Benzinga, the channel that brings you the latest and greatest in technology and investment opportunities. I'm your host, Chris Ketchy, and we have an incredible interview lined up for you today. In today's interview, we'll dive deep into the secrets of Qualcomm's AI revolution and uncover the next big thing in tech investment. Our special guest is none other than Ziad Asgard, the visionary driving Qualcomm's AI business. He'll be sharing exclusive insights and knowledge that could supercharge your portfolio. So buckle up and get ready to be informed, inspired, and empowered. Benzinga is your ultimate guide to navigating the ever-evolving world of technology and investment. Let's jump right in and discover the future together. So I'm here with Ziad Asgar, the Senior Vice President of Product Management at Qualcomm and Head of AI. I want to get the question started with the big topic out there, generative AI, a phrase that we are hearing a lot in the world so Ziad, what is Qualcomm doing for generative AI? Yeah, Chris, it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity for Qualcomm in terms of what we can do on all the different products that we have on our portfolio with generative AI. I mean, the scale that Qualcomm brings is just amazing, right? So we have about 2 billion devices that are out there at any given point in time with Qualcomm, you know, uh, Qualcomm chipsets in them. And we believe that with the, with the special hardware, software, and the tools and algorithms that we have been working on, we can bring these amazing experiences onto those devices. And I think the key uh, part that we really like with generative AI also is that we can do a lot more of that processing. We can create those amazing experiences, those you know, unique use cases, all of them entirely on the device. And the way I think about it is that as we start to do that, it will actually move the center of gravity of generative AI towards the edge. And in doing so, it actually allows us to take those experiences to all the different consumers, everybody who has a, has a handset, has a, has a PC-like product with Windows on Snapdragon, has an XR-like product. All of those are now going to be able to use those capabilities. And we are also very excited because I think each and every experience in our devices gets better. It becomes something a lot more immersive. It becomes something that people uh, enjoy a lot more. There is entertainment aspects to it. There's productivity aspects to it. And then there's just uh, convenience aspects to it that we think that the generative AI is going to bring across all of our product lines. Awesome. Now, while generative AI is the term we probably hear the most, there's also a term that I've been hearing Qualcomm use that's hybrid AI. So can you kind of walk us through what hybrid AI is 
how it's different from generative AI and why Qualcomm is excited about that part of the AI field. Yeah, so like I started, see, let's say you're doing a, a chat session, right? So you're asking a particular query. If we can do that entirely on the device, it means that that query never left the device. It means that your privacy is preserved. So some of the concerns that we have seen from different aspects about you know, confidential information from companies going out and all, all of that can be preserved by doing a lot of that on the device. And why we think that Qualcomm is uniquely differentiated is because of the hardware, the software, the tools and the algorithms that we have built. For example, we built capabilities to be able to take these exceptionally large models, right? Uh, a, a, a measure of how large they are is the number of parameters. So some of these models are in the billion. Uh, what we showed at Mobile World Congress is a one billion parameter model that we can run entirely on the device. And the unique part is the device is in airplane mode and it's doing all of that entirely on the device. We believe that in the coming months, we'll be able to actually pull, push that all the way to 10 billion parameters, which means you can think of it as that 10x improvement in terms of what we are able to do which means things like these chat experiences, things like code generation, things like image and video and text generation, all of these are able to run entirely on the device. And you know, the really unique part that also comes by doing it on the device is that you can actually bring in context, which means the device knows far better the colors, the tunes, the, the textures, the, the, the themes that you like. And then we can actually create a curate an experience for the consumer. And I think that sets us apart in a very big way. But then there will be models always that are larger than that. There are models that are going to be uh, you know, larger than what we are able to do on the device. And for that, we're working actually very closely with multiple cloud partners to be able to do the hybrid AI approach. And what that means is that the portions of the model that are more specific to privacy, for example, we can keep them on the device. And then the other portions or remaining processing can happen in the cloud. And that really allows you to be able to offload the work from the cloud onto the device in a very meaningful way. And the point I would wanna make is, uh, is Chris, that we do these models uh, entirely on the device and we use milliwatts of power. When people are running some of these in the cloud, sometimes they're running hundreds of watts of power, right? So our pedigree has always been about doing these at the lowest power possible. So we are bringing a lot of advantages in terms of just environmental and other benefits too, when you can do it on the device. But when there is a need, we can go off to the cloud and that's where we create the hybrid uh, angle to be able to still provide the pristine, the best in class experiences that are differentiated by doing it on device and then extending it all the way into hybrid AI. I love that explanation of hybrid AI. And again, maybe viewers and listeners out there aren't as familiar with that topic. We hear so much about generative AI and we also hear a lot about how AI is going to scale in the future. Can you just add to that on how the hybrid model maybe helps the overall AI market complete that scaling effect that everyone's calling for? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I can say that quite openly that every day in our space, you know, something new is happening. And uh, so this started, of course, with what, you know, for example, we showed on the device, uh, uh, which is a stable diffusion model, which is think of it as a text to image. So, you know, you can put in any query onto it and it generates an image for it. So for example, you say, I don't know, uh, Eiffel Tower at sunset, uh, but done in Picasso style of painting. And actually it's able to generate that for you, right? Entirely on the device. And uh, uh, so now that was text to image. But what we're seeing is that you'll have a lot more modalities coming into these experiences. You will have text to image, you'll have text to video, you'll have image to text, you'll have you know uh, image to video. So it's really becoming multi-model, which means it's X to Y, 
And all of those configurations are going to be possible. And I really think that we're just really looking at the tip of the iceberg at this point in time. It's going to be a lot bigger. The applications are going to be a lot more. So what we are seeing is, you know, multiplicative effect. Number one, you got, you know, 10x increase in the number of use cases. You got 10x increase or not, if not more, uh, in the size of the model. And then you got 10x increase in the number of people actually using these. And, you know, that is what is causing uh, the need uh, for generative AI to run on the on the edge or on device, right? I mean, I always say that generative AI to reach its full potential needs the edge, right? Now, of course, all these new experiences will come in. But as we see that some of the times the models start at a fairly high level, they keep on getting optimized and they become smaller. But there are some models that are going to stay fairly large. And I think in that case, what we are looking at is basically almost like a student-teacher sort of an approach between models where a smaller version of the model runs on the device and a much larger version can run on the, on the cloud. And then the interaction between those two reduces the total amount of AI processing needed to be able to deliver that experience onto the device. So I think it's really a great win-win. It allows the experience to stay constant, independent of the capability of the device, but at the same time, be able to deliver all those great and amazing use cases. Love it. So Qualcomm CEO, Cristiano Aman, wrote an op-ed piece recently, and he said that AI is going to touch every corner of our lives. So Ziad, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this and how you position Qualcomm to win the race in all these different corners of our lives. No, I think Cristiano was uh, right on the mark over there. I think this generative AI transformation that we are seeing today will indeed touch all industries and touch all aspects of life, right? So I'll, I'll just talk through some of the use cases. For example, right uh, today, uh, you know, I have one person on my team who writes perhaps really long emails. Well, you know, generative AI can summarize that for me and be able to give me a much smaller snippet. I can have a conference call like the one that I'm having with you today. It automatically transcribes all of the stuff that's happening, creates a summary, creates all the actions that are coming out from it, and actually shares it back and creates a PowerPoint slide uh, or a presentation that essentially talks to all the things that were covered in the meeting. Uh, for example, if you go to augmented reality and virtual reality, the, 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 the key differentiation over there is to have a world, a virtual world that actually is reflective of what you like, but at the same time is unique to your, uh, your you know, likes and dislikes. In this particular case, with the information that you already have on the device, we create a genuine, you know, differentiated world for you that is available on the device, and we are actually able to bring in you know, text to 3D is another uh, big thing that's coming. So you can actually create these objects that are entirely created using generative AI, for example, right? So all of those kinds of experiences, and then for example, in IoT space, you know, you could be traveling to, uh, you know, some country, some different country, and you can have basically your concierge sitting in your room where you can go and ask it, well, hey, you know, I have four hours in the morning of free time, what can I do? And you can actually have a conversation with it and it's able to tell you exactly where you should go, what you should do. Uh, and if it's on the device, it actually knows what you prefer anyways and be able to, do, you know, mold it that way. Similarly for automotive, right? I mean, I can talk about it forever. So all of those experiences are being touched by generative AI. But the unique part is that Qual Qualcomm we feel is really differentiated because the hardware that we have created and the software that we have created, we call it the one technology roadmap, which we are able to take to all of our different product lines from handset to PCs to XR to auto and all of the other ones. But in doing that, we're able to do more AI processing than anybody else out there for a given amount of power, 
number one. Number two, some of the experiences that we are showing, we believe we are the only ones showing those on the device because of some of those choices that we have made. For example, one of the fundamental choices we made was to be able to do what we call AI inferencing in the integer domain. What do I mean by that? What we are able to do is to do some of this inferencing in 8-bit domain. So you have to do 8-bit uh, calculations to be able to get a result or generate an image, for example. What some of the other people are doing, they're doing it in the floating point domain, which is 16-bit or 32-bit, which means it takes a lot more processing to be able to get that result. But the techniques that we have developed over you know, a decade of research in AI has been how to do that without losing accuracy, without losing the best experience. And that's why we are very excited about it. And that's why we think Qualcomm really has a unique differentiation over here. And as AI and generative AI touches all those areas, Qualcomm will be very uniquely placed to take advantage of it. Ziad, I want to follow up on the automotive segment, right? We've heard a lot about Qualcomm really seeing that growth in automotive, right? The connected car, the digital cockpit, and the assisted driving technology that is really powering the world forward in the auto industry. Can you just give us some examples of how AI is being used within the auto industry for Qualcomm going forward? By the way, AI is already being used heavily, like you point out, right? I mean, if you are to have any degree of driver assisting uh, in terms of how the driver is driving through, you need to be able to understand exactly what is on the road. So you have to have best-in-class camera technology. Qualcomm leads that. I mean, if you look at some of our cameras that we produce on the smartphone side, they're best-in-class in the world from a quality perspective. But the way you do a camera for a smartphone is fairly different from the way you do a camera for an automotive, right? The camera does not make does not need to make you look good, but what it needs to be able to see is in the darkest of the regions of the frame versus the brightest, it should be able to see that pedestrian. It should be able to see that line marker. And I think those are the things where we Qualcomm really excels. But when you combine that with AI, it's able to do that object identification. It's able to take multiple sensors like LIDARs and radars and multiple cameras and be able to create this bird eye view of where the car is at while realizing and recognizing each of the things and impediments that are in the way of the driver. And that's of course, helping the driver be able to do a much better job, making the experience much safer and we hope really saving lives in the long, uh, in the long run. But what generative AI does over here is, for example, you are going on a ride and you can basically talk to your car perfectly like, uh, I guess, night Rider-like days uh, almost, right? Where you can talk to your car and say, well, you know, I'm going to the airport, but I really want to stop somewhere and have a have a nice pizza. So what do you suggest and what's a great place to do that? And you can say, I'd like to grab a good uh, coffee, good cup of coffee after that, and then get to the airport. And, you know, you can have all of that seamless experience. You can also have integration. I mean, I'll tell you, I'm driving in an, in the morning and I have three or four ideas in my head that I I'm thinking, hey, I need to meet up with these guys to be able to you know, discuss this further. I should be able to talk to my car and be able to have all of that scheduled. Even the routes that a car takes based on generative AI, we can do a far, far better job of actually being able to create the better routes. So I think all of those things are gonna make uh, the experience on Qualcomm-based uh, automotive products far better with what we are able to do on the device. Love that. Thanks for that explanation, the auto industry, uh, you know, with AI already being prevalent there. So as the AI market grows, right, a lot of analysts and experts are trying to quantify it, right? And we hear a lot that it's a trillion dollar opportunity. I mean, Ziad, that's a massive number. So walk us through, you know, what does this opportunity mean for Qualcomm when forecasting, you know, future revenue, future growth, how does Qualcomm tackle this trillion dollar industry and what could it mean for financials going forward? 
I think the way we should think about it is right. This is a great opportunity for the whole industry. You know, it's this really transformational moment. But I think uh, the way I think about it, Chris, is that we are able to do these experiences far better and on more product lines than anybody else that I know out there. The scale that Qualcomm brings is far more than anybody else. We can bring these generative AI experiences to the masses. We can bring it to you know, every product line that we have. And with the differentiated technology that we have created, we can actually run it at the best power possible as well. And I think those things mean that we are squarely in the middle of how the generative AI revolution is gonna move from here on, which means we are a key part in terms of actually making those use cases real, which means that essentially every product line of our becomes more important, becomes more significant, its value increases at the same time, the consumers uh, like it more, they buy more of those devices. So whichever way you think about it, Qualcomm is in the middle of this revolution and at the same time very well positioned across you know, smartphones, XR, PC, auto, IoT, all the different product lines that we have are gonna benefit from this in terms of the growth that we will see due to these amazing use cases. So I wanna talk about an effort with Microsoft to align efforts to scale device AI. We know that Microsoft is a leader in the AI space. They have an investment with open AI. Talk about this relationship and the news that re was recently announced between Microsoft and Qualcomm. Right, so Qualcomm and Microsoft work together very closely. They're a great partner to us. Uh, I think with the revolution that's going on on the PC side today also, it's all about devices that can launch uh, basically something extremely quickly, which means have great performance, but at the same time, last through the whole day. And you know, we have the right technologies to be able to do exactly those, to deliver those experiences. And what is happening now is that Qualcomm is truly, again, very much differentiated by virtue of the fact that, I think people don't realize this, but we actually have an AI accelerator already built in to all of our chips that, that go into the PC space. This is not a separate chip. It's already integrated into our product lines, which means that all these generative AI use cases that I talked about, Chris, now can actually come onto products like Windows and Snapdragon. And in that vein is where we are working with Microsoft to be able to bring those experiences to life. I mean, there are very simple things. For example, I mean, people always complain. If you look at the camera on your PC, it looks like you're looking down and it doesn't look like you're looking at the person. Well, you can do gaze correction, right? At the same time, all the things that I talked about transcription, about being able to have a conversation like this, whereas the people could be speaking very different languages, but on your end, you're actually seeing the right language, right? All of those experiences of how you are able to create, for example, a complete uh, uh, transcript, but also create a summarized output of a, of a meeting that you might not have even, even been there, right? All of those experiences are what we're working with Microsoft to bring to the device, and then on the productivity side, on what you can do with uh, you know, text generation in terms of uh, creating Word documents, or to be able to create you know, PowerPoint slides that are essentially taking the data from a meeting notes, uh, but from meeting notes that you might have created and automatically create those for you. I think the productivity aspects are just going to be amazing. It's gonna take away a lot of the mundane work. It's gonna really accelerate what we can do on the device. And those are all the angles working very, very closely within Microsoft. Awesome. So Ziad, within the AI industry, within semiconductors and many of the industries you compete in, obviously you have a lot of competition. Uh, what are some of the key differentiating things that set you apart from competitors? And a follow-up to that is Qualcomm uh, looking towards merger and acquisition activity within the AI space currently. 
Yeah, so I think if you think about what sets us apart, I, I think we are very happy with the choices that we've been making actually, uh, I mean, my team, even five years ago, right? The, the, the focus on doing this in the integer domain, like I talked about, where people have still been using it in floating point domain, automatically means that you can do some things on the device, that Qualcomm can do some things on the device that others who might be leaning more towards floating point approach may not be able to do, number one. Number two, we created and launched what we call the Qualcomm AI stack last year. And what this stack does is that essentially you can create a model once and be able to take it anywhere. So let's say you created a great object identification model or a nice text-to-text uh, -text message, a uh, text-to-text -text model. You can take that from the smartphone space to the IoT space, or you can take that to the auto space or to the PC space. That portability is what we have created as an inherent advantage of the way the Qualcomm AI software is done. Additionally, what we have basically launched is what we call our Qualcomm AI Studio, which has all the tools, all the pieces to be able to take, let's say, a floating point model, quantize it, compress it, make it small, and be able to bring it onto any of these products that we have. Works uh, basically locally for Snapdragon. I think all of those advantages in each and every vector, and then we have a lot of research. We were looking at how to be able to accelerate the large language models, how to be able to accelerate these large models, even for vision and for image and other aspects, even further. And all of that is basically baked in to the Qualcomm AI Studio. So we think with the investments made, the technical choices that we have made, it really uh, gives us a huge advantage. And, and I think that sets us up extremely well for being able to do uh, well in this space. I think you had a follow a second question to that. I, I forgot. Yeah, any interest in uh, acquisitions within the AI space oh, yes. for Qualcomm? Thank you for the reminder. So basically, we have already been looking at that uh, quite closely, Chris. We have also already done some smaller uh, acquisitions already, smaller teams, uh, because I think what I'm looking at is where we have a particular need in terms of technology or capabilities, we are able to pick the right folks and be able to uh, bring them into the team. So we've been doing that, and we'll, of course, continue to do that as you'll see us uh, do a little bit more of that in the future, too. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of another exciting interview from Benzinga. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into Qualcomm's AI revolution and the incredible insights shared by our guest, Ziad Asgar, head of AI. Remember, the future of technology and investment, it's constantly evolving, and we're here to keep you informed every step of the way. Be sure to subscribe to Benzinga so you never miss an interview filled with groundbreaking discoveries and investment opportunities. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and keep exploring the possibilities of tomorrow. This is Chris Ketchy signing off from Benzinga. Take care, everyone.